I'm Christian Perez, and this is Modernity and Absurdity. no pretensions about my podcast. It's always been me, my microphone, and my laptop. As this interview was held earlier in the morning, there is some background noise consisting of Ron's dog, a cute Doberman, and the landscapers at his development cutting the grass. There's also an echo early on. I apologize for the distraction, and I did what I could to edit out the background noise. Despite that noise, however, we had a great discussion, and afterwards, Ron was even gracious enough to interview me for his YouTube channel, Our Society Experiment, episode 69. Ron mentions early on a moral responsibility to become active. He hits the nail on the head here. These are serious times we live in as individuals and as a nation. Only by working together can we as Americans and as a human species transform our way of life, our planet, and protect our future. So I'm here with uh, Ron Rivers of OurSociety.org. How are you doing today, Ron? I'm doing very well, Christian. How are you? Good, good, good. I'm doing really well, really well. So I want to jump right into it. Ron, what's your story? Uh, well, first, Christian, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I thank really you. appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. So uh, my story, uh, I am the uh, founder of OurSociety.org. We are a 501c3 nonprofit focused on building a free and open election campaign platform, kind of taking politics out of the shadow of money. Uh, and we're specifically focused right now on our beta here in New Jersey on local candidates. All right, sounds good. Sounds good. So um, we'll come back to that. What, where did your interest in politics come from originally? Like what made you want to get involved in the first place? Sure. So I had been, um, aside from our society, you know, the past seven years of my life I've been dedicated to a for-profit company I've had. Yeah. And I've been into like political theory. Uh, one of my biggest influences is Roberto Unger. He's a Harvard professor. He puts all his lectures online. Um, so I've been listening to it for years. Uh, I'm an avid reader. Uh, there's a number of, of uh, big influences in my life who've kind of shaped my worldview and the society I'd like to live in. Uh, but I was always kind of on the back burner, right? And then 2016 happened. Um, and I decided that personally, uh, based on my you know, situation in life, uh, I think I had a moral responsibility to kind of become more active in the process of transforming society. Uh, and initially, it really, you know, I, I had considered running for office. Mm-hmm. Um, to be candid, I think my views uh, are a little little too progressive mm-hmm. uh, for the, you know for some of the stuff I was considering running for. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're there yet. So I decided to use my you know my uh, skill set of building organizations, try and kind of help the movement, help the transition along um, through a, you know a product and and through a a uh, an organization that can help empower other people. So that's kind of what we were thinking about. Sounds good. Sounds good. So let's jump right into it. You are running a nonprofit called Our Society, OurSociety.org, mm-hmm. right? And um, what is the main goal of Our Society? 
Yeah, I mean, if you're talking, when you say main goal, like we're talking about the big picture the vision. Big picture, yeah. big picture, yeah. Our society should be publicly owned, mm-hmm. uh, free and, and publicly, like, you know, the board should be consisted of members of the public, free and open election campaign platform. We shouldn't have to spend, you know, we need to remove politics from the shadow of money. That Absolutely. has got to be one of the core progressive agendas, movements of all things that we're doing. Um, and, and the argument that I would make is that it is unlikely to happen given the current legislator because so many of them benefit. You know, mm-hmm. the system is so entrenched. Um, so one of, I would imagine that one of our biggest ways to combat this is through technology, mm-hmm. right? Something really, um, as a millennial myself, I think something really that millennials really can grasp and understand and have a deeper connection with uh, to kind of you know, open up access for alternative ways of thinking, alternative candidates, um, candidates you know, who might not otherwise get the press that the establishment might, um, now they have access to their entire community for free. It's kind of like a one-stop information center. So OurSociety.org is about leveling the playing field, whereas someone like Donald Trump gets billions of dollars in free press from the mainstream media, he gets millions of dollars in support, um, uh, to support his campaign from who knows. Your website, OurSociety.org, is a place for anybody to go to, for anybody running for office to uh, upload their information onto and be able to kind of bypass all that money. Um, is, is that a correct assertion? Yeah, absolutely. And really, aside from just the candidates, right, because that's, that's one piece of the puzzle, there's a tremendous benefit for citizens. Mm-hmm. All, all the information is in a single place. Yes. Right now, and especially when you talk about local elections, many of these candidates have like no websites, no information, no Facebook. That's true. Um, it's very archaic. And, and what we're trying to say is like, you know, if we're going to reach the millennial and Gen Z you know, generation and really mobilize that, we must communicate in a way that resonates with them, which is instantaneous, right? Yes. Convenience. Yes. So it's all in one place. And yes, totally about the money. Um, I don't know if you've, uh, I've talked to you know, approximately a little over 100 like local candidates. Oh, wow. And you know, they, some of them need twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 to run for town council. Yeah. I mean, insane. Yeah. So it, it just, it's a systemically limiting barrier. If you're from a community where you might be a community leader, but you don't have thirty thousand dollars. Let's say you're a single mom, Very few right? People have that kind of money lying around. Yeah, I agree. So it's just it's unjust, mm-hmm. and we can use technology to right that. Yeah, I mean, and as we all know, uh, there are millions of stories out there of money flooding in from outside of the state, outside of the municipality, coming in to sway elections that most people wouldn't even know are happening. Right? It could be a state senator race in New Jersey. It could be a you know mayoral race in Wyoming somewhere but money will come flooding in from all over the country because you know you and I know that every election matters, but the layman doesn't necessarily know that. Uh, Joe, junkie public doesn't necessarily know that. Mm. Where did the idea come from? You know, it came from just, uh, t- to be candid, a conversation with my wife one night. We were just talking about you know problems and you know, as an entrepreneur, the way I kind of view society is, is just like, you know, if, we're gonna, if I'm gonna invest my time into something, into building a, a product, um, or a solution, it, it's got to solve something, right? You want yeah. it to be something that truly solves a problem. And um, just, you know, you know, it may have came, there's, there was two, two key books that I think were really in, inspirational in this. There was uh, Becoming a Candidate by Jennifer Lawless, which is essentially a case study on why people don't run for office, especially okay. people who would like be qualified. Um, and by far, the number one reason, like in her entire study, I think her sample size was several thousand people. Oh, wow. um, it was always money. 
Money was the biggest reason people didn't run oh, yeah. for office. 85% of legislators in this country, I believe, are either businessmen or lawyers. Yeah, and 50% of the average can you know, candidate's time is spent fundraising, yeah. right? So it's so capital-driven. Um, and that's, you know, that... Time that, in office also. Yeah, uh, sorry? Uh, for instance, uh, there was a report that came out on The Daily Show a couple years ago about not necessarily Democratic candidates, but Democrats in office spending a good amount of their time, not necessarily yeah. focusing on legislation, but on fundraising. Yeah. There was some creepy like cubicle warehouse that they go to calling people all over the country to ask money. Yeah, it's, you know, and that's, it's a reflection on a larger systemic problem of how our society is organized. But it's something that, you know, we just, uh, and then that, and then Winner Take All Politics was a great book about just the, the consistent shift of wealth since the 70s through legislation. Um, so you know, the irony is it get, becomes more expensive to run for office, mm-hmm. but less and less people have access to the capital to do so. Yes. So it's almost you know, like the, the system is intentionally working to weed out individuals who might have alternative visions yeah. of a regime of society. Teachers, doctors, Edu- farmers, absolutely. Edu- every, everyday people. Absolutely. Okay. So um, what was the inspiration? It really was just... I said, how can I help, right? How can I help? Is, is it going to be, am I going to run for office? Yeah. Um, that, that was kind of, I, I kind of put that on the back burner because I didn't have any political network, right? Yeah. I've only existed in the for-profit sector. It's a lot of hard work. Yeah, I would I, I imagine I've, and I've witnessed. Um, I said, okay, so that might not be the best initial option. So how can I you know, build a solution to help people who might have alternative visions of the future? Uh, and our society, and by removing money, I thought, hey, that's a, that's a really big need. That's really something, and, and really importantly, I think it's you know to stress is is doing it under the nonprofit framework, uh, because there are other companies that do uh, great things in in the civic tech industry, right? There's there's platforms that are more robust than our society. Yes. We're in a beta, but it's more about you know, doing it under a nonprofit, and we're actually in the process of open sourcing the code as well. So. A, a nonprofit, you know, kind of open source aspect where it really is both community owned and community developed, uh, and, and and that's kind of our vision going forward. Is is something like our elections shouldn't be in the hand of a private corporation, right? So when you have, um, I won't name names, but there's other software that like people use to campaign, right? Yeah. But they're for profit, so it's only exacerbating the problem. It's just moving the money from one place to another place. My argument is the money should be removed entirely. Sounds good. I mean, I agree with that. Uh, Anything that uh, keeps people from voting, that keeps people from running for office, I I, I don't think it's a good thing. Politics is becoming an an exclusive party where only the few can uh, can jump in. And it's good that uh, you've started this project. It's definitely a necessity at this time. How many people do you have on board at the moment? So we have about, so everyone is a volunteer, myself included. Okay. Um, we have about six to seven, I say that because it, it really depends on the time of year, but active volunteers. <laughs> yeah. So people who are like actively contributing, whether they're doing development, they're doing marketing consulting, they're doing editing of our blog, video editing. A lot of tech uh, people. A, a lot of professionals, okay. yeah, in a lot of different fields. Uh, and then we have like a network of probably about like 20 or so people we can call upon if we do an event. Mm-hmm. Right, it's like so. We had a, a letter stuffing event where I think we had uh, fifteen or so people. You know, we have a good network of people who will come and help out. Uh, but we have about six active volunteers right now. Our society is, is obviously in a beta, not making any money. Yeah. This is purely just an expense to kind of build a proof of concept. Okay. Uh, but the vision is obviously with the proof of concept for two thousand eighteen to secure grant funding and foundation funding and local donations to scale the platform to a national level where we could be of more service. 
Now, I saw you have board members. How many board members do you have on at this point? Technically, we have three, okay. um, but two of those are the founders, myself and my wife, Tressa Rivers, okay. and then Sarah Kelly. Sarah is, uh, works at Rutgers University. Okay. Um, and, you know, so our, our board is small, and that's intentionally so. We kind of, at this Fine. point, we're just, we're just trying to, like, get it out there. Um, Sarah's been a tremendous help. We also had Sean Barry, who who was a board member um, and had to leave for personal reasons, but he was also really, really helpful, especially in our initial uh, startup. So it's something we're actively looking for, we're actively networking for, um, but we do have a formal board. Okay. So how active is everyone in the project? I know you said you have a lot of tech people, you bring people in to do the letter yeah. writing. Uh, your wife... Uh, is it basically the Ron show with everybody helping out, or, or do you have everyone else jumping in? Yeah, I certainly wouldn't call it the Ron show. <laughs> um, I am the most active, but mm -hmm. only because through my for-profit business, I have the most freedom. Yeah. So I'm, I'm working on our society full-time. Yeah. It gets about... It's your, it's your pet project. Yeah, yeah, 50 or 60 hours a week. Everyone uh, else kind of works uh, on a need basis. So mm -hmm. I may say, hey, we need to develop this code, or we need to do something with this database, or I need these blog articles you know, done. Um, and, and usually that's, I'd say, a weekly or bi-weekly thing, okay. you know, but it's not... Um, you know, it's because again, everybody is volunteering. They have their for-profit thing. It's more of like, hey, this needs to get done. Can I hand this to you? Yes, I'll take it. All right. You know that kind that's of fine. thing. Yeah. All right. I mean, hey, that, that's how it goes nowadays. I yeah. mean, you you need people. I mean, if you have an idea, but I mean, people have lives. Yeah. I mean, uh, people are professionals, and they jump on board what they can. So, um, related to the last question is, um, how collaborative is the project? I know that you have part of the software allows for the public to submit questions. Sure. How are they chosen? How are questions chosen? Is there somebody going over that? Is there an algorithm that, that weeds out offensive terms, uh, stuff like that? Well, we'll just say, how, how, are, how are questions submitted from the public? How are they chosen? Yeah, so uh, if, if it's okay, just to backtrack one step. So, yeah. so the questions, just so like we, you know, the listeners understand, like, yeah. that's part of a larger matching algorithm, right? Yeah. So that, that's why people would submit questions, yeah. um, is to be entered into our, what we call our social value matching. Uh, they just submit it from their, their online dashboard. I mean, it's right there. It's, okay. it's right, right. As soon as they log in, yeah. they, there's a section on the bottom, the first, the front page, like, hey, we want to hear your voice. What are you thinking about? Yeah. Um, and those questions get entered into a pool. Mm. Um, now, in terms of how are they moderated, right now they're manually moderated. Okay. And the only thing we really, so to be clear, you know, our platform as a nonprofit, the only thing we're just not about is... You know, it's not a, uh, we are nonpartisan, so you can have yeah. your viewpoint, mm -hmm. but they must be, you know, educated questions. Be it's, an adult. Yeah, you have to be an adult, exactly. And absolutely no racism or violence or anything like that. Yeah. But, you know, we just, that's not what this platform is about. This yeah. is about transcending society, not, yeah. you know, regressing it. And um, that kind of, you know, th so that's, you know, we do moderate. Yeah. So, but that's the only thing we monitor for is just really, you know, offensive things or things like yeah. that. Um, because our objective again is is to ask thought provoking questions to get a perspective to help yeah. people better match with their case, and that's what that that pool of questions does as part of a matching algorithm. Okay. So citizens answer from the same pool of questions, um, candidates answer from the same pool. The answers are anonymous, and that's important. We want you to have your privacy, and that no one can see your specific answers. But when you load up your virtual ballot and you see your two or three candidates in your town who are running, and maybe a Senate candidate or two is on the platform you will see how you match them both in an aggregate, so a, a total, uh, and then you can break it down over 27 different categories if you chose. Okay. So especially for, you know, we find that's valuable um, for the, with our primary demographic really being the 35 and under demographic, we're not trying to get the person who hates politics to go run for office. Yeah. We are trying to have, give them more agency in the process uh, so they may actually go vote. 
right? If they know that the person they're voting for uh, through data, right, is, is aligned with their values, that might give them more agency in the process. I, I think it's good because I think party identification is such a, we've become so tribal in this country that, that party identification is, 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 is more just a, a part of someone's personal identity at yeah. this point. Um, we have Americans, and I think all of us are guilty of this, who won't look at a candidate just because of the, whether or not it says Democrat or Republican next to their, next to their name. But if you put the issues out there, uh, the points of view, it, it's easier for people to understand. Uh, most people won't take the time to go online, to go to the websites, to find what the issues are. And as you said, it's not always in one place. It's, it, sometimes it's just not there. I mean, we see local newspapers disappearing. They're the ones that are supposed to cover these facts. So usually all you have to go by is your party identification. And if a lot of local parties are nonpartisan, you're kind of left out to uh, left out into the wind and you, you don't really know where to choose. So it, it's good that our society is there to, to help facilitate that, to come in and, 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 and basically bring people to the facts, to bring people to the information, to bring people to the issues. Yeah, we, we actually don't even list political party. Mm, okay. So it's like well, you just see the candidates' names and like if they're running in your area, in your municipality. Okay. All right. Um, and that's intentional just because, like you said, you hit the nail on the head. Um, the parties have a branding problem. Both yeah, of them do. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's, it's that you, you have a complete barrier. And, and this is an argument I would make for you know, a more progressive vision of the future is the Democrats and Republicans are bad brands. You know, yeah. they're just, they're tarnished brands uh, and they'll never be recoverable. I think they're so that's bad. That's the official position of this program. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair though. I mean, that, yeah, they're just, I don't know that they'll ever be able to recover. From a, I know it's going to sound silly, but from like a marketing perspective, yes. right? From, from coming from an e-commerce business, but they're just, their brands are, are tarnished. Like, and yeah. you have half the population. So I, you know, it's one of the, I find myself questioning. I'm not complete on this. I just don't know if like, the Democrats are going to be the true progressive party moving forward because mm -hmm. they already have such a huge barrier with a section of our population that has been essentially ingrained for how many decades of, you know, just you know, feeding of information. So I, I just don't know where that goes, you know, and how that operates in terms of the big picture. As we're starting the semester, uh, I do my intro lecture with my students, and it's kind of like, you know, what is political science? Let me give you the quick primer on what we're going to be doing, and so on and so forth. And one of the things I bring up is that in the 2016 election, the two most disliked people in the United States were Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, <laughs> right? That in, in a poll of, of, of Americans, yeah, yeah. right? The two candidates running for office were the two most disliked people in the country. That's a branding problem, yeah. right? Why are, we don't vote for people, I mean, of course there are people that Trump and Clinton inspire, but the overwhelming majority didn't vote for or against, didn't vote for these people, we voted against them. Sure. And that I think sense. that that is the political reality, and I don't see necessarily anything wrong with that as a tactic, but taking a step back, looking at the issue, is it shouldn't have to be that way, right? We should be voting for people that inspire us, not necessarily against people that terrify us. Yeah, I, I think one of the big challenges, right, with the, the two parties is, is that, you know, if you summarize, like, what do they offer, right? Republicans uh, offer, you know, their main thing is, is more market and less state. Yeah. Right, Democrats are more state, less market. <laughs> more fear. Yeah, you know, Republicans promise more freedom, whatever mm -hmm. that means. Democrats uh, promise more equality, but in, really, in the end, you get superficial equality or freedom from it's both. All platitudes. Yeah, so you know, you have you can only have it so much, and, and we have the internet to thank, right? The true evolution of consciousness, the mass communication, the to democratization of all conversations. Yeah, to, that's a beautiful way to put it. To shine sunlight yeah. on all of it, and I think that's kind of like 
what you're seeing now is kind of the growing pains of this transformation of, of where we could take the potential that we have in front of us. But yeah. Uh, taking it back, how is OurSociety.org different from other websites? Because there are other websites out there giving information. You can go to PolitiFact. You can go to Wikipedia. Sure. You could uh, type in a candidate's name on Google. You can go to the local Democratic or Democratic Party, um, I'm sorry, Republican or Democratic Party page and get information from them. But again, what makes our society different? Sure. So the, there's a number of things. A, for some of them, right? Now, some you mentioned, like Wikipedia, and I think Ballotpedia, um, I believe they're both nonprofits. Yes, Ballotpedia. Um, and, you know, so, so those are very robust information sources um, that are mature and kind of have you know, nice algorithms. A lot of them do focus, um, Wikipedia and Balvia are more on the higher level candidates, yes. right? Congressional, yes. there's, there's very little, if anything. No one's school board, no one exactly. running for sheriff, no one running for dog catcher, and so on and so forth. 100%. So that's exactly what we're doing, is we're kind of coming in that, that bottom level. But also, because we are coming in the bottom level, and it's not as, for lack of a better term, sexy as like the higher level, yeah. Our focus on with the product is making it as easy and convenient as possible. And that's the two key phrases of what we're doing versus everything else, is that our objective is a user experience objective. If we want to engage more people, especially amongst the 35 and under demographic, again, our, pro, our primary demographic for the product, you have to communicate with them and give them tools that resonate with the way they already communicate with the world, yeah. because those tools will allow them to further transform the world. So by allowing them a way to you know, if I'm a 21-year-old student or 23-year-old student or I'm, you know, uh, even 18 or whatever, I'm 25, who cares? The idea is if, if my life is too busy or I don't have the willpower, whatever the reason is, at least I can still make a data-driven decision that is with aligned with my interests. So there's yeah. a reason to vote now, yeah. right? Whereas, you know, we've done hundreds of surveys with students, people who are under the age of 25 about, like, voter um, apathy, like the question is, why don't people vote? And yeah. then, the, then the then the second question is, well, what I start off every year with that question. Yeah, why don't people vote? Yeah. And and we follow up with, well, what would it take? Like, what would you need to see happen for you to be totally engaged? What's the issue that that's important? To yeah, you? and what's funny is, and we we did, I think we did five classes, we did five civics classes, volunteer classes at our local high school. I think we have about four more booked for next year, and. Um, it's always the same thing. It's always about convenience and access to the information. Yeah. A lot of students want to vote. See, that's the big argument. People say, oh, apathy, no one cares. It's not true. It's not apathy. It's agency. It's that they want to participate, but they don't know anything. Absolutely. They don't, they don't know where to get the they information. They don't have the tools. Exactly. So my argument is that by giving people access to the tools necessary to have more agency in the decision, we can transform society. Great. Great. I mean, I think that's an excellent answer. Um, Looking at the landscape and seeing all these other websites, like you said, Balladopedia or whatever it yeah, may be, yeah. did you draw anything from them? Totally, totally. I did. I mean, we founded, uh, I think our society was officially founded in April of 2017. It's like the official incorporation of the nonprofit. Uh, but the project had been going on for about uh, six or seven months before that of just straight research. Mm -hmm. um, uh, big, a big site I, I really like is GovTrack. Okay. Uh, GovTrack, I think it's .us, uh, might be .org, I, I, off the top of my head. But anyway, GovTrack is a phenomenal website. It tracks, um, the, the guy uh, has, has written some really incredible algorithms. He tracks all the bills. Um, it's, it's congressional level, so it's real high level, but yeah. it's, it's very, very in-depth. Uh, Wikipedia, obviously, is, you know, is a, a project that's a gift to humanity. Uh, Ballotopedia, same thing. Yeah. These are great projects. 
Um, but again, they, they all kind of target this high level and, and we wanted to go low because I really do believe, and even with like the progressive wave you're seeing, it's happening on a local level. Yeah. So my argument is if we could you know, network local candidates together, give them access to best practices, you know, that's another thing. Like these towns aren't just talking to each other. Yeah. Like if you go to New Brunswick, North Brunswick, Highland Park, East Brunswick, the, the administrations, they're not sharing best practices. They're not like, and, and we can do that through technology. Like we should have access to the best ways of doing things. Yeah. It's silly that we have, you know, we have to constantly rediscover the wheel with new, each new administration and each new leader that's kind of uh, involved. So when I was scrolling through your website, I came up with, uh, I don't know how to put it, the, the, the initial 500 questions. Yeah, yeah. It, where did they come from? Was it through the polling? Was it, you know, gathered from other websites? Yeah. 500 questions is a lot, but I think it's good. It's necessary. Um, if, if you want to study a politician, you need to dig deep into who they are and what they believe. But the initial 500, where did, where did that come from? Sure. So um, I'll promise that my thing is 500 is so intimidating. Right? We, yeah. we expect people to answer about 20 to 50. Yeah. But 500 are there because we have some, some users who've answered some more. Yeah. Um, they came from surveys. They came from, uh, when I say surveys, like our surveys, collecting yes. information. They came from other surveys out there. Uh, you know, essentially, I don't have any you know, professional experience designing personality tests yeah, and, yeah. and stuff like that. We use what's called the Likert scale algorithm. So it's like a, a, a strongly agree to strongly disagree okay. with a multiplier, like how important is it? So, you know, it really it was kind of a stab in the dark. What I was going for was that the questions are A, fairly direct, I mean, excuse me, fairly open-ended. So they're very short, like oh, it might be one thing. Uh, and we, we asked some questions in different ways. If you've ever taken like a personality test, you, you notice that some of the questions are repeated, but just in a different format. Yeah. And that's so you can't really mislead the algorithm, yeah. right? Because it's like, it just asks you in a different way. So you, you, you may process it in a different way. So it's going to tell you, are your answers consistent? Are they not? Yeah. Where do you really stand on the issue? Um, because the question that gets brought up a lot about like the matching algorithm is, is how do you prevent someone intentionally misleading it, right? Yeah. Like, so, uh, and the answer to that is, well, you know, A, even if we couldn't prevent it, you know, if we could prevent 0% of it, we would still be in the same place we are today. We wouldn't be any worse because people do that all the time. Yeah. My argument is that it's much more difficult to lie to the algorithm than it is just in like your initial platform. Yeah. So, so that's kind of how they, that's how they came from and, that, and that's why we do it. So it really was just a bunch of research and kind of just pulling them together and asking people and um, they may get revamped. You know, once we scale the platform to a more formalized product, yeah. We may just have, we might hire a professional probably, yeah. but for the time being, they work. You know? Okay, so the project officially is a little over a year old. Yeah. Um, have any campaigns started to use our society yet? Oh, totally. Are, are we yeah. looking at local, I mean, so I guess at this point it'd be more local than national elections. No, yeah. No, no congressmen in California are, are, are coming to look at our society. Is it... At this point, I'm just saying, yeah. not, not your end goal, but specifically, are we looking at just local New Jersey elections? Have you been approached or have you approached uh, campaigns in other states, other areas? Uh, who, who, is, who is responding to uh, OurSociety.org? Yeah, totally. So um, Our Society, the beta, is based solely in New Jersey. Okay. Um, and it's been an enlightening experience. I've gotten really to dive into New Jersey politics on a number of levels. So... With that said, who's using it? So we, when we first launched in April, we had three congressional candidates. That was kind of our first, like, let's just put this out there, see what happens. And those three were uh, Lindsey Brown, 
uh, Javon Walker and, and Peter Jacobs. So three really forward-thinking candidates, millennial candidates. Who, Peter who's, Jacobs, a friend of the program. Yeah, well, Peter, <laughs> Peter Jacobs is a, is a great guy, a, a phenomenal leader. And I'm excited to see his future. I think yeah. he's really got a, a big opportunity. But they were really, you know, they understood the value. And that's something that's really interesting is we're seeing a, a, a trend in kind of who uses the platform and who doesn't, even though we're open to everyone. And I can talk about, you know, some of our efforts in a bit. Um, but right now, right now we have, uh, one, two, three, five, I think we have seven active candidates, and then I have I'm onboarding another five or six in the next two weeks. I have like all the you know okay. my next actually at 10, 10 o'clock today I'm on I'm boarding Alexander Bland who's running for town council. So uh, the majority of town council we have uh, Charlie Craddleville running for mayor. We have Madeline Hoffman who's running for senate. Uh, Alexander Bland is running for council. Don Rogers uh, and his partner who isn't on but we're going to get him on as well uh, running for town council in Point Pleasant Beach. Um, I'm going to be speaking with Diane Moxley, another green candidate uh, who's going to be running. So, I mean, we're, we're certainly gaining momentum, right, and which is exciting. And, and we see consistent growth in both our citizen users and our candidate users. Um, but with any nonprofit, you know, budget is limited. So it, it really is a relied on a lot of grassroots efforts, right? Us kind of going out there and knocking on doors, doing events, um, and kind of getting people. So we are seeing people use the platform already. I think we have a chicken and egg problem though. That's kind of the, the challenge, right? Users only get value if the candidates are on the platform. Yeah. And candidates only get value if the users are on the platform. Yeah. So it's like the, the goal of trying to convince people that participating in this is good for all of us. Okay. It, it costs nothing but you know 10 to 15 minutes of your time. time. Yeah. yeah, but it's a short amount of time. Um, but together, you know, if we opt in, we can transform this. Like this can be become the new normal. Um, but we kind of have to figure out the best way to kind of, you know, get over that initial hurdle of how do we create value for both people while at the same time being a fledgling, you know, startup. So, are we talking liberals, conservatives? You mentioned the Greens. Who, who do you think is jumping on board more? Would you say are there any like conservatives running? Democrats. Uh, like, like I just said, you, you yeah. said Greens. Who, who's jumping on board? Do you, do you see one tendency and not another? Is everybody jumping in? Who, who's, who's been receptive? Sure. So I think that, uh, you know, uh, I shouldn't have even mentioned Greens. I apologize yeah. for that. But we're, get, we're getting, um, you know, so we, so I want to be clear. We mailed out 2,164 letters, one letter to every single candidate running for a down-ballot office in the state of New Jersey. Um, and we've received a good amount of, of feedback from that. Um, in terms of the political parties, I don't have actual data because I don't ask, uh, to be frank. Yeah. However, it does seem that we are getting uh, people who really understand the value of technology, who understand the potential of this kind of project. Um, not every candidate that we spoke to really grasps the potential of kind of what we're talking about okay. and the value. I think there's a, you know, there's a, a really big emphasis on politics. Uh, about like the traditional way of doing things, right? The people to people, the connectivity. I don't doubt any of that, right? That, that's not my argument. Um, but I think to some extent, technological solutions are kind of brushed under the rug because they're like, no, look, we know how to do this. My argument is that you have two generations of, of individuals who've been raised on devices. I had internet connectivity when I was 10, oh, wow. right? The people who are children now are going to be the first generation of global citizens. Like the yeah. idea of, you know, they're connected into, you know, inextricably connected in a way that's not going to be broken. Um, so it's, if we're going to think about politics of the future, I believe we need to start thinking about communicating in a way, again, that resonates with the people that we're trying to target. Uh, and that's my argument for a more digital access thing. Again, I'm not saying that this, our site replaces all campaigning and everything. I'm just saying it's an additional free source of access that the majority of people, because candidates are going to reach a tiny minority of the potential voters they can have. Yeah. 
But if everything's online, they have the potential to reach 100% of people yeah. who could you know, want to know about them in a local election. So are we seeing baby boomers, millennials, Gen Xers? Who's, who's getting the feedback? Because I know, like, like you said, you and I, I we're, we're like, I guess we're the like first wave millennials. Mm-hmm. Kind of Gen X, what do they call us? Gen Y, whatever the label is this sure. week. Um, <laughs> you know, like I, we started getting the internet technology. Like you said, you were 10. I think we got a computer when I was, I was like 18. I mean, I was a little bit older than yeah, you. Yeah. But um, are, are we getting older candidates, baby boomers, or are these specifically younger people that are getting on board? Um, no, no, no. It's a wide range. It's, it's not. Wide it's range. not just younger people. I mean, certainly, I think um, without a doubt, like the conversations are different. If someone's like, you know, let's say I'm going to make up a number. This is arbitrary, but let's yeah. say like they're 32, 33 ish. If they're that age or below, the platform makes sense. Like, there's yes. there's no sales yes. part of it. It's just like, oh, that's a great idea. I totally understand. Let's it's just sign up. The way it is now. Yes. Uh, it takes some of the conversations have been a little bit more. Uh, they've required a little bit more sales and finesse yeah. with some people who you know, might be in their 50s or 60s yeah. to, to understand the, the real value of what we're offering. Um, and, and really at that point, I just kind of have to say to them, like, I'm here, to, I'm a nonprofit. You have to you lend me your trust. I won't yeah. abuse it. You know, this is for your own good. This is for the good of all of us. Um, you should sign up. Yeah. And, and, and many of them have taken that leap of faith with us, and I appreciate that. You know, A lot of older, if, if you look at uh, when uh, Mark Zuckerberg appeared before Congress, a lot of these older legislators didn't, like, they didn't understand that Facebook wasn't Instagram, that it's not other, like, they didn't even, they didn't even seem to know what questions to ask, but they didn't even know who they were talking to. And this isn't a dig at, at older people or baby boomers. We like them, but I just don't think a lot of them understand the role that technology plays in the day-to-day lives of yeah. I guess we're young people, right? We're in our mid thirties. But it's it's integrated. It's it's you know I, I feel like to call it a role is underselling it, right? Yeah. It's it's a complete integration. Yeah. You know our cell phones are essentially you know Ray Kurzweil. They're an extension of our neocortex. They extend yeah. our reach. They extend our brain. Right. It's like we have the world's information in our pocket. It's a yeah. it's a totally different paradigm. Yeah. Uh, it's like, like having a refrigerator or a bathtub. It's a necessity in the yeah, modern world. Yeah. Totally. Totally. I guess some people. Don't see bathtubs as a necessity, but uh, <laughs> thankfully you and I do. Um, do you see a lot of incumbents or, or challengers getting on board? No, 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 it's, no. It's, it's definitely it's definitely challengers. Challengers, not not incumbents. Um, you know, I think there's in New Jersey especially. So one of the things I've learned about New Jersey politics, which has been um, both disheartening but shows tremendous opportunity. Is it's incredibly trenched. There's a, a solid machine. When you hear about the machine... Oh, it's here in New Jersey. Yeah, and it's strong in Very New Jersey. Very strong, yeah. Um, so you have to imagine that if someone's been in office uh, for, let's say, you know, 21 years, uh, the mayor of a city for 21 years, yeah. you know, it, it's not in their best interest to have more exposure, right? If they broke, don't fix it. Exactly. They, they you know, are able to you know, sustain themselves... From almost being out of the public eye, right? Like things aren't terrible, so we'll just keep voting the guy who's in there. Um, so, so our society isn't necessarily. I mean, you know, really, if these if these governors, these leaders were thinking forward and they were thinking about the transformation that's happening, they would be on it and they would embrace it. But, but no, we find without a doubt more more challengers are kind of hopping on the platform. Um, and and that is is really nice, both because I think that's kind of what we designed it for, right? We want to give those, we want to give alternative ideas more access to their you know their their communities, um, and and that's a really critical part. But yeah, I mean that's the short answer. No, we don't get a lot of incumbents. Okay, 
Uh, here's a question. Uh, what is social value matching, and can you describe it for the layman? Sure. It's, it's a, you know, a term. We had to think of something to call the matching. Hey, hey, we, we had to have something. <laughs> but, but, but again, it's like if, um, so let's say, imagine that you are a student or you are, you know, just busy with life, and you just really don't have the time to really dive into each candidate. So what you can do is you can go on our society, uh, you go to beta.irsociety.org and you just you know, sign up for your free plot account. It takes all of like two minutes. We just yeah. need your email. And you start answering questions. You just answer these questions on this like kind of I strongly disagree or, or you know, uh, and to strongly agree. And as you go through them, we kind of build an algorithm profile for you. So it's private. No one can access it. No one can see your answers. But then the candidates do the same thing from the same pool of questions. So again, this is like how we make it more easy and convenient for you. If you want to run in your local election, actually you want to vote in your local election, but you don't know that much about the town council members and you just really don't want to dedicate a few hours to finding out, you can dedicate 20 minutes. And if those candidates are using our society, when you sign on and you click the button at the top that says virtual ballot, we'll show you everyone running in your local municipal election. We'll show you any Senate candidates or any like county candidates you'll be voting for on your, on your ballot. And we'll show you how you match with them based on your own personal values. So it's a data-driven democracy. It's, it's using your own data for your own good. I think so many of us just give away our data, right? To all these for-profit corporations without thinking about it, let's use it for our own benefit, a social benefit uh, and, and engaging more of us to kind of get out there. So why keep the question guidelines issue focused? Uh, I, I think that's important because we want it to be, you know, I, I think part of the vision of our society is, is the you, as you and I had discussed earlier, the the conversation around politics is full of vitriol, right? It's full of just negativity, and I think that's a turnoff. I think that um, advertisers uh, use that because negativity. I think biologically, right, we're more we're more prone to want to see negative news. Like if you imagine being in a field, like you know, having an extra three percent of my corn yield doesn't really matter, but seeing a tiger really matters, right? Yeah. It really matters. Gotta yeah. get out. So negativity is is biologically encoded into us. Yeah. Um, we we are trying to shift the discussion. You know, our society is not trying to be some sort of clickbait media organization. We're trying to be a public service for the public good owned by the public. Yeah. Um, and and that's kind of the objective. So by keeping it issue based and not just like my opponent's a jerk, don't you think? Like that you this allows people to really kind of really access the information they want in a way that's not biased or filtered by people you know in, in their um, personal views about the situation yeah I mean I repeatedly tell my students that the grossest place in the world are comment sections on the internet <laughs> right like I wrote an op-ed one time on a Black Lives Matter rally yeah. in Lincroft and it was like this really tame rally um, run by mostly white people and I was like, look, it, like there, nobody was saying kill the cops. You had cops speaking at the event. Yeah, yeah. It was like white pastors and white politicians. There was like maybe two people of color that spoke. And that was all like my op-ed was about. And then Asbury Park Press puts it on Facebook. And I was getting hate. Like I didn't even, I wasn't even going to comment. I, yeah. I was like, my wife was like, don't engage. And I'm not going to engage. Like I, I can't because I'm not going to deal with that. But uh People are just ready to pounce. People are ready to attack, and people are ready to hate. And it's it, it's a shame, but uh, you know we got we got to keep an eye out. How would you describe the feedback you've received from the public? Ha has it been positive or negative? I know the project is only about a year old, but are people sending you emails? Are people pulling you aside saying, "Hey, Ron, you know you got a good thing going here." I know that uh, Peter Jacob originally approached me about interviewing you, so he likes it. He he's definitely on board. How has the feedback been? 
incredibly positive. You know, I, I wish that there was a way, I think because of our limited budget, um, you know, what we tell everyone we meet is just sign up because it's, it's important to understand we have to, uh, people like the project, but like some people like, all right, they like it, but if it's in your area and no one's on, you may say, well, I don't need to sign up yet. My argument is that by signing up, you only empower the project. Yeah. Because at the end of the year, we make an impact report. Someone's got to be the first. Someone's got to start it. Exactly. And we say, hey, we have this many users. So it's kind of a gauge of interest. But overall, I mean, it, I, I can't think of a negative feedback we've had. Some, you know, I was interviewed by Jersey Matters, uh, Larry Menti, and, and he had asked me the one question he had. It, was, it wasn't really negative, but it was, um, it was, I think an interesting question was about like the potential for monetization of the platform. So let me go on record and say that the platform will never be monetized. Like we have a path to revenue. So yeah. the, the vision is, because you have to sustain yourself. Yes. The vision for the future, just for full transparency, is um, when we do our version two, people who win campaigns. So if you win your campaign, you make a small donation. That's fair. But only if you win. If you don't, you know, you can just run. But Will will never, ever sell the information. Yeah. I have zero interest in selling this project. I have a for-profit business. This is about... You just just furthering community, furthering access to one another. So that's probably the only like potential negative criticism I got. Everyone else has been super positive about it. They like what we're doing. Um, a lot of people recognize this is going to be a long uphill battle. You know, I'm in this for you. Know, I'm expecting about ten to fifteen years for yeah. this kind of project, um, and that's okay. Uh, but you know, I believe in the project, and I think a lot of people really believe in what we're doing. So here's, here's one that I, I really want to ask you. What insight have you gained since you started this project? So you said officially it's a little over a year old, but you know you and you said you and your wife came up with the idea. Have you gotten any, any feedback that has either surprised you or re reaffirmed your beliefs? Sure, yeah. I, I think you know, we get constant feedback. It's not like one thing that I could say like, oh, this has happened, but it's like any, any event we do, anytime we connect with people, we have so much kind of consistent feedback of just like, hey, you guys are doing a great thing, keep it up. Or like when you get like a $5 donation from someone, it's just like, you know, look, people, we understand that everyone can give a lot, right? But any, any little amount, it just constantly reaffirms our purpose. And we do have like a lot of you know, small donations coming in. Um, anytime we meet with someone, candidates, uh, candidates who are on the platform are really thankful that we're giving them because um, I didn't mention it, but we have Google Grants we've been okay. awarded. So we spend about $10,000 a month in advertising in New Jersey on the platform. So okay. the candidates who are on there are getting free advertising. We don't advertise for the candidates. Yeah. We advertise for our society, but just, yeah. by default, right, they, they get that. So we have, you know, that gives us true visibility. But yeah, I mean, the, the project is still going very strong. And, and, you know, with any entrepreneurial venture, whether it's for-profit or non-profit, I think non-profit even a little bit more so, it can be disheartening at times because you're putting a lot out there both capital-wise, time-wise, and you know, just emotional energy-wise. Um, but those little victories really do help sustain you and keep moving you forward because at the end of the day, you know you're doing something right. Like This is a good thing for society. There's yeah. no doubt about that. Like Elections shouldn't be under the shadow of money. And if our legislators aren't going to take the necessary steps to do it, which they're not, right? They could have... There's, there's tons of examples in Europe, Australia, where elections are handled way differently than they're here in the U.S., Absolutely. right? Election Day is a holiday. You have publicly financed campaigns. Our legislators are not doing that. Therefore, technology can be used to kind of, I don't want to say usurp, but usurp that method of Circumvent doing things. Circumvent is yeah. a better, yes, thank you. Uh, that's a, I'll, I'll, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, it's, a, it's just a better way of approaching it. Um, so yeah, it, we have received, I mean, positive feedback. And I think especially when people get a chance to sit down, that's why I love like conversations with, even like yourself, like you're doing, 
we're on the same team. That's what I love about this is just you building, connecting with people who, who share a vision for a transformed future, right? A different way of thinking about society and institutions. Um, and we're all doing our little part. And this is how change happens. You know, like our it's incremental. Society, yeah, absolutely. Our society is just one brick in the wall, one brick in the foundation that we're building. I shouldn't say wall, foundation yeah. that we're building. Um, we don't build walls here. Yeah, right? The table. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, but yeah, it's just been really positive. And every opportunity I have to speak to someone like yourself who's doing something you know, in the same vein and, and just really going out there and taking your time and effort to get the word out there. I mean, it just, even something like this just reaffirms me to know that we're not alone in our efforts. You know, yeah. we are doing this together. It, it's good to know that you're, uh, that you're not alone. Yeah. Do, do you see this as something, I don't know if this is necessarily in your plans, do you see this as something that hey, maybe this is, this is a project we can export to other, other democracies, something we could export totally. to Canada or Mexico or England or, or wherever. I, I don't think that that's in the game plan for now, but you said this is a 15-year project. Yeah. 15, 16 years from now, how, how big do you want, or let's just say, how, how big do you, yeah. do you want or do you think our society could be if everything goes well for you? Sure, I, I, that's a great question. Totally global. I think totally that, global. yeah, so... I would make the argument that the, the new progressive projects in terms of, so I think we have to, like our society is, is at its core, it's a political project. It is a product in the yeah. sense that we built something, um, but it is a political project. So my big thing that I write a lot about and talk a lot about is institutional reformation. I think that the society of today, if we view it as a technology, as a set of things created by men or women, right? Um, but really our society is created by oligarchical white men, yeah. right? So it's like, if, if we view that as a technology, my argument is that it can, we should view you know, transforming it like we would any other technology, upgrade yeah. it. And um, so I think the progressive projects of the future are, are really all in a sense global. So you have to have the national projects, but really the vision that we're purporting, free and open elections, access to candidates, access to leadership in a way that is easy and convenient, that transcends national barriers, right? Okay. So, um, and part of what we're doing, I mentioned we're open sourcing the code. So it may not even be us. Who does it? Like, I'm not opposed to doing that as we lead our organization, but by open sourcing the code, someone in Europe, someone in the Middle East, someone in you know, Asia countries can take our code and just rebrand it as their own thing or do it, you know, if they want to work with us, I think having a single brand would be nice, but if they, they want to rebrand it, that's fine because we're going to give the code away. It's about the cost. Yeah, it's exactly. It's about the cost. So all the money we've put into it, into developing it, all the man hours, we're giving that away. Like yeah. that's that's on the radar for January, like February of 2019. That's, okay. that's on our plan. So my vision is that hopefully it can spread because it could you know, rapidly raise the temperature of democracy, yeah. rapidly, um, if, if implemented correctly. Okay, okay. Um, do you have any reservations or any fears? Uh, I know that eventually you see yourself probably taking a step back. I don't know if you'll always see yourself on the board. Are you okay with taking a step back and letting other people, I don't wanna say take control, yeah, we'll say take control yeah. of it. Yeah, I would say that uh, I will continue to contribute to our society so long as I am uh, welcomed and, and adding value, yeah. according to our board, the moment that stops, I'll step away. Um, this project isn't about me, right? Okay. It's it's not. A, it's, I call our site a collective project. Yeah. So th there's a very good chance. So like my professional experience is entrepreneurship. I, I've built organizations, right? But I'm not a CEO. I'm not like a Harvard MBA. Like I'm I'm not prepared to run. Uh, not to say I'm not prepared. Not to say I'm not up for the challenge. But I don't have formal training in running you know, let's say a, a billion dollar organization, yeah. you know, so I, I don't have that. So if that comes a time where I'm not able to manage it, 
then it's time to put someone else there. Um, I think I have strategic vision for the next decade, yeah. but but again, if, if my value is not being, if I'm not conveying value, then I don't need to be a part of this. Right. And I think I'm gonna take this as far as I can take it, and then if, if a better person is ready to take the reins and, and wants to do it, then I'll, then I'll hand it over. Um, this is not about me or my you know, individual tie to this. All right. That's the kind of honesty that, uh, that I can respect. Yeah, I appreciate that. So Ron, one quick question before we go. What would you say are your personal political views? Do you attach yourself to a particular ism or a particular party? Yeah. Is it about issues? Is it about labels? How would you define your political position? Uh, it's a really good question. So I, uh, I'm happy to talk about it. I just want to preface, right? Yes. This is about my political thing. It has nothing to do with our society's political yeah, it, views. And that's fair. This, yeah. is, this is solely the, the personal beliefs of Ron Rivers. Perfect. Okay. okay. So uh, I would call myself a, a progressive, and I think okay. that's important. I don't, I don't identify with Democrat or Republican, okay. um, and and I believe in institutional reformation. So I think there's kind of um, you, there's six main. I think to transform society, we need to redefine the very institutions of society, and that's that's gonna be the progressive project. The argument I would make about like why progressivism hasn't taken off is because there's no story. Uh, and from my personal experiences, so this is limited to my personal experiences, but I have networked with a lot of progressive groups and thinkers. It seems to me that many of the progressives of today are, are limited. And, and, and when I say they're limited, they're limited in one or two ways. They're limited to solutions within the current institution, within the current regime of thought. So what do I mean by that? The, the, market, the market economy, uh, laws between property and contract, education. Uh, these are things that are all systemically designed but no progressive project can really succeed in a, in a you know, purely, purely market-driven economy like we have today. Not no, but like the transformative ones. The flip side is, right, we see a, an uprising in kind of like this uh, radical socialism, like a Marxist-level socialism. So yeah. I'm, I'm fairly familiar with Marx. I'm not like a PhD in Marx, but I've read you know, Capital. I've read the Communist Manifesto. Marx talks about modes of production, you know, whether it's, it's essentially slavery, feudalism, capitalism, and socialism, as these set regimes of thought. Yeah. So it's like capitalism has these rules, socialism has these rules. And I've heard people making the argument for radical change to a completely socialist you know, set of rules. My argument on that is A, that's politically unfeasible, B, it has potential to be violent, so it should be avoided at all costs. But see, it's limiting. It's limiting to the vision. We should not be limited to a single set of institutions. Technology is radically reshaping society. And because of that, we need to build a society that is designed to evolve and evolve rapidly. So like according to my biggest influence, Roberto Unger, the, th the six main points of, of the progressive transformation need to be as follows. The first, I'll get it out of the way, is we need to increase the aggregate tax take. Mm -hmm. It's going to take money to change society, and not only that, but to free ourselves from the control of the you know, for-profit fiscal interest. So, yeah. uh, and there's lots of ways to do that. Um, the second is we need to you know, redefine education. Education right now in the U.S. is, is based all, in all the states is based off municipality taxes. Yeah. Education needs to be a federal taxes, program. Yeah. Yes, and he's, it's no no surprise that New Jersey has some of the best public schools in top the, two or three in the country. In the country and, and really the world, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, and then rural Kentucky doesn't, right? That's not a surprise because of the access to resources. So right away, education needs to be a federally funded program and really federally mandated. Like there needs to be stuff. Uh, the federal government cooperates with the state and the municipality. 
Um, but there needs to be a curriculum that is giving students access to the most up-to-date information. Um, I, I believe that, for example, your spiritual beliefs or your personal things, that's great, but they don't belong, like some schools in the U.S. are you to teach your religious beliefs alongside. Texas is a big one. Yeah. Uh, they influence states like Oklahoma, states like Kansas, because you're going to follow Texas. You don't care about schools in Kansas. They don't have the money. They don't have the numbers. Exactly. So, I mean, but that's just, that can't be allowed under, you yeah. know, that's not helping society grow. And what that's doing is further codifying the division we have. Yeah. It's entrenching it. Um, the, the third thing he talks about is the reimagination of American federalism. So essentially that means is states were designed as laboratories of experiments. So we should speed up government to allow states to have more ability to experiment. Uh, but also that kind of coincides with a, a socialized kind of way of, of you know, having access to transportation. So we want people to be able to live the life they want to live. That's, that's how you, humanity defines itself by moving in different directions, right? It's how we transform society and the world. So we want to give people those access. If you want to live hypothetically in a uber-religious community that's very restrictive, you should be able to do that. However, you should not be able to restrict someone else who does not want to live there. So let's say you have a young son or daughter. They should have access to the transportation resources to relocate themselves and in in, in transform their view of the world outside of that bubble. Um, you talk about disseminating best practices. Um, so right now, uh, I'll kind of summarize the market view because I, I could talk about this forever. But uh, <laughs> I believe in it. You know, I mentioned uh, the radical socialism, like this shift of regimes, is not what I align with. I think we can do. We can have a hybrid. So for example, I, I believe that competition. And I believe that uh, I believe that breeds innovation. I do like that's the the main benefit of capitalism, aside from just the consolidation of resources, is that innovation does happen when you're trying to say there's a problem and I want to solve it, mm -hmm. right? But innovation is is fundamentally limited in society today. And let me give you a personal example. I'm an entrepreneur. I started a small business, right, about seven years ago, and if I had failed in doing that there would have been tremendous costs yeah. to me. Like, I think we should have a socialized bottom. Food, shelter, transportation, uh, basic you know, income, healthcare, obviously. These are all you know, basic human rights. But in doing that, we give ourselves the ability to experiment and innovate even more and give that access to more people. My argument is that tr society is transforming rapidly. So the more people we can give access to the tools necessary to innovate and experiment in all ways of life, yeah. the, the quicker we're going to accelerate our entire species. Yeah. So you have this socialized bottom, you have a competitive middle formed of small businesses or cooperative organizations, and at the top you have a socialized top. When organizations, for example, like Amazon or Google, become so ingrained in society, even Facebook, they need to be regulated strictly, and they need to have, you know, I think some of their, their profits need to be returned to society. Now, the way you can do that, though, is we must build a society that is accustomed to change and gives everyone access to change. So in doing that, the best firms become the best schools. So, and that's a government-sponsored thing. So for example, you wanna learn logistics. Amazon is about the science of logistics. It's moving things. Yeah. That can be both on Earth, and now with Bezos' new space, you know, uh, I think it's Blue Origin, right? Yeah. It'll eventually be in space. So the argument is that if you want to know about logistics, because logistics will always be a thing, yeah. Amazon will be the place to learn logistics, and they yeah. will train you for free. So your ability to transform society is now extended, and, and you have access to these tools at no cost to yourself. 
This is the society I'm talking about building. This is how we accelerate and rapidly, exponentially increase our ability to transform the world around us. Yeah. Um, and the only other final thing I'll wrap up with, because uh, again, these are my progressive views, is that we should disseminate access to the most advanced forms of production. Um, a big thing right now happening in society, a lot of the, the challenge with the, um, the whole, I guess really the, 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 how do I put it, the manufacturing base is, yeah. is, is that manufacturing for a long time in the US was the most advanced form of production, um, and it's not. And it's, it's not ever going to be again. Now it's the knowledge economy. The knowledge economy is, uh, you could consider it highly skilled and highly transferable. So if I'm a developer or I'm a, you know, whatever marketer, I can move from any company and do those jobs, right? Um, manufacturing is the same thing, except it was low skilled labor, yeah. low skilled, highly transferable. Uh, but the knowledge economy exists in every industry, but it exists in the fringes. So what do I mean by that? There, in every industry, there's someone who has access to like the best AI, the best team, the best data, but no one else does. It's, it's consolidated, it's yeah. insular. We need to have a plural economy where anyone who wants to start a business, imagine if you want to start a business tracking X, doesn't matter what you want to do, but you had access to the best AI. Imagine the transformation you can make as an innovator despite your capital. Democratizing resources. Absolutely, right? So we wanted to disseminate these best practices and the resources to do them, right? And then you can form cooperatives. And because everyone has a socialized base, the cost of labor, which as a business owner is the highest cost, without a doubt, right? It's like a third of our, our and we have a small team, but a solid third, you know, because we pay, you know, a, a living wage, you know, to our employees, even, you know, our, our low level employees. Um, you, this is something that by democratizing access to the resources and the, be, the be, you know, most advanced forms of production, we can, again, accelerate the exponential growth of experimentation and innovation within society. And that's my argument is that that's where we need to build society for. And that should be the kind of progressive vision for it is this pluralistic way. Um, and, and of course, there's, I mean, you know, I, this is a whole program. So I, I'll just kind of like nip it here. But there's a lot, there's a lot of like programs we could even introduce. Jeremy Rifkin talks about his book, his third industrial revolution, the, you know, kind of this green energy revolution. You have it over there, right? Yeah, I have yeah, the book over here. Yeah. yeah, it's a great book. Um, and he essentially talks about how you, we need to build a zero, near, zero uh, near zero marginal cost economy. And the way we do that is um, every building becomes a solar node and we network those buildings like you would network a series of computers where the excess energy is put back into the grid. This is a 30-year project that, that could employ low-skilled labor because mm -hmm. all those panels have to be put up. Yeah. So you know, my argument would be like a progressive vision would be a federally mandated program funding not only the access of these things, but having the top firms become schools to train people. So if you want to learn to do this, you will have access to the training to do it for free. Mm -hmm. And this is like a 30-year project. So this is not like a 10-year thing. People will have 30 more years to do labor. And then by the time that's done, when you have a society that works on a zero, you know, near zero marginal cost, energy is free, that will transform society in ways that are, it's hard to actually imagine now what that will do for people's access and agency within their lives. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> Ron, um, is there anything else you'd like to add to this discussion? Is there anything that you feel that you'd like to add that I didn't ask you? Any other points you'd like to make? Is there anything that you could uh, come up with really quick? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, again, Christian, thank you so much for having me on. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, we're going to be, if you guys haven't already, I would ask that anyone you know, here just follow us on social media. Uh, it's Our Society Org on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, our newsletter, you know, we send out, a, a, I think, a, a well-crafted newsletter once yeah. a week. Um, 
Uh, we have a lot of information, so I'd love to give you know, more information if you guys are interested in what we're doing. I'll put all this in the show notes. Thank you. And just like, you know, a special, while I have a mic, just a special thank you to everyone who's, who's given their time, energy, and effort to the project. Just to talk to me, hear about what we're saying. Um, our society is a collective project. Again, it, it works because we want this to work and because we're getting engaged. And uh, I really do believe in what we're doing. I think we have a nice momentum going. So it's just about kind of carrying it. You know, it doesn't end here, doesn't end in 2018, doesn't end in 2020. Um, a transformative vision must transcend, you know, kind of what we're doing. So uh, that's, that's kind of it. Ron, thank you for the time today. It was great to talk to you. And I hope that in the future we can come back and revisit this discussion. Awesome. And thank you so much. Thank you. talking about peace. Why, oh why did my people lose?